This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Good afternoon, shovelers of New Jersey. I, I hope everybody is, is staying warm. I hope we're all safe. And this has been, a, I mean, an exceptional, sensational week in, in New Jersey politics. And, and I'll give you a spoiler alert. Today, this show might seem more like a true crime story than, than about politics. But I assure you, it is both. It's a murder-for-hire mystery involving New Jersey political players that came to light just this week. And what you're going to hear is absolutely going to amaze you. Uh, Only in New Jersey, though, is a political operative hiring a hitman to murder another political operative, not the number one story for political insiders. That is reserved for a decision by Democrats to dump Steve Sweeney, the former president of the New Jersey State Senate, from the redistricting commission that's redrawing the state's legislative districts. Uh, And I'm going to have a lot more to say about uh, legislative redistricting and about congressional redistricting, which has been just a a real crap show for the last month. Uh, So we have a lot to talk about today. And later I'll be joined by Dr. Rick Maida. He is a candidate for Congress against Frank Pallone in the 6th District. And and you may remember him as the Republican nominee for United States Senator in 2020 against Cory Booker. And I will speak with Rob Menendez. He has emerged as the clear frontrunner for the Democratic nomination in the 8th District. That's where Albio Sirius is retiring after 16 years. This is a safe Democratic seat. So the winner of the June primary is going to Congress. So let me tell you what's going on with the murder-for-hire story. On Tuesday, a Democratic political consultant from New Jersey named Sean Cattle appeared before a federal judge and admitted that he paid two career criminals, two hit men, to murder a guy named Michael Galdieri. He is the son of a former state senator from Hudson County. He was he was a, a low-level political operator from Jersey City. I remember when he ran for city council about 17 years ago. The murder occurred in May of 2014 when Galdieri was stabbed and then his apartment was set on fire. Once the murder was done, Cattle met the hitman allegedly in the parking lot of a diner in Elizabeth and, and paid him thousands of dollars. I shouldn't have said allegedly. It's sort of a force of habit, but, but he admitted that he did it, so he did it. Uh, and I don't know what that means, thousands of dollars. I, I, I don't know what the going rate is for a hitman in New Jersey, but the murder remained a cold case until this week when Cattle admitted his role. And in court filings, prosecutors said the cattle had signed a, a plea agreement back in September. So four months later, he admits his guilt to a judge. This is something that could put this 44-year-old guy in prison for the rest of his life. But in all likelihood, he'll wind up serving less time in exchange for his cooperation. And now I have to tell all of you loyal 77 WABC listeners to that a lot of people have a lot of theories. I, I am one of them. But none of us really know with any certainty what happened. Uh, but I think there's going to be a lot of sphincters tightening uh, 
in New Jersey now that, that the U.S. attorney, Phil Salinger, has announced Cattle's guilty plea. And, and I mean, to be clear, Cattle was a he, he was a low level guy in New Jersey politics. He he worked as a consultant to a bunch of campaigns, uh, uh, many of them because former state senator uh, Ray Lesniak brought him into the into the room. But Cattle never played at a high level. And people who know him told me that this guy had a lot of vices. He had a lot of demons. Uh, I never met Cattle. I never spoke to him. I never corresponded with him, although we have mutual acquaintances. And, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm sure my father would be very pleased to hear uh, that while I don't know the murderer personally, we have people in common. I mean, welcome to Jersey, everybody. Uh, but one of the things that I heard over and over and over about Sean Cattle, as I spoke to people this week, is that he appeared to be a slimeball. People he pitched for business told me there was something about him that made them feel uncomfortable. I mean, just imagine having a quality about you that makes New Jersey politicians feel like they want to take a shower after they met you. That was Sean Cattle. And and the reason I, I, I think sphincters are tightening is because there's clearly another shoe to drop. Because after Cattle admitted that he had hired people to kill a man, he was released on an unsecured bond. He had a monitoring bracelet affixed to his ankle and was ordered uh, home confinement. So he is in his home right now. A man who admitted to his role in a murder uh, is in his home right now. Law enforcement uh, people that I've spoken to tell me it's, this is this is unusual in a murder case that once a person pleads guilty, they're typically taken into custody and 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 they're not they're not released pending sentencing. And then there's a lot of things going on that we don't know about. Uh, and at the top of that list is what events triggered uh, prosecutors in the FBI to solve this this Galdieri murder from eight, eight years ago. Uh, now, I'm told that it would be smart of me to not assume that whatever got Michael Galdieri killed was a result of some disagreement with Sean Cottle, that, that probably more likely someone else wanted Galdieri killed and used Cottle to get it done. I mean, we'll see if that's correct. Uh, now, people are wondering whether there is a connection between the Michael Galdieri killing and another cold case from 2014. This is the murder of former New Jersey Commissioner of Transportation John Sheridan and his wife Joyce. And like many people in New Jersey politics, like most people, I I knew John Sheridan. I met him for the first time when I was working as a a very young Senate staffer in the early 1970s. John Sheridan was a very good man. He was smart. He was kind. He was decent. And on September 28, 2014, John and Joyce were found dead in their home, not far from Princeton. They had been stabbed, and their house was set on fire. They had been stabbed, and their house was set on fire. The Somerset County prosecutor initially ruled this a murder-suicide. I, I never bought that. Neither did the Sheridan sons. Who They went to court. They got a judge to challenge John Sheridan's cause of death as uh, undetermined. And the family hired a high-profile pathologist. He reexamined the bodies and disputed the report of the state medical examiner. Uh, and they looked at the knives recovered from the house, One was a serrated bread knife that matched the wounds on Joyce Sheridan. But the investigators came to believe that there was another knife. 
and that knife was not found at the scene of the murder. And that begs a totally fair question. How could the weapon used in a murder-suicide be missing? It, it doesn't make any sense to me. And, and this part, I think, is really interesting. Two days after the 2014 murder, a career criminal named George Bretsenis was arrested for bank robbery in Connecticut. He had a kitchen knife with him. Now, get this. George Bretsenis was the alleged hitman hired by Sean Cottle to murder Michael Galdary. So on Friday, Mark Sheridan, he's the son of John and Joyce, he's a, a hugely respected, politically active lawyer in New Jersey. He was the top lawyer for Jack Cittarelli's campaign for governor. He wrote to the attorney general and to the Somerset County prosecutor, and he wants them to dust off this unsolved murder of his parents in light of the new details surrounding Sean Cottle. And he told prosecutors that the details of Galdari's murder were eerily similar to the circumstances surrounding the death of his parents. So I'll say it again, stabbed, and their house was set on fire. He said the prosecutor never recovered the knife used to kill his father. So he wants them to find out if the knife law enforcement found when they arrested Brett Sennis matches the set of knives from his parents' kitchen. He wants to know if there's a DNA match. And, I mean, frankly to me, I, probably all of you, I would imagine too, uh, this seems like an incredibly fair request. I can't imagine that anybody's going to uh, turn that down. I don't know if there's a connection between Galdari and the Sheridan murders, I, uh, but there is no doubt that there is more to come in these circumstances uh, that led to Sean Cattle's arrest. And, and he is sitting at home, uh, awaiting sentences with a plea agreement in his hand. He's not doing that if, unless he's got somebody to big to to give up. And and uh, and Cattle has some unsavory connections, uh, so we shouldn't just assume it's New Jersey politics. Coming up, I'm going to speak with Rick Maida, Republican candidate for Congress, and then later I will be joined by Rob Menendez, a Democratic candidate for Congress uh, in a Hudson County district. So please don't go anywhere. You are not going to want to miss what Maida and Menendez have to say. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back, everybody. It's David Wildstein. Rick Maida is a candidate for Congress in, in New Jersey's 6th District. If his name is familiar to you, it is because he ran for the United States Senate in 2020. Dr. Maida, welcome. Hey, David. Great to be back on with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. And, and you know, I, I want to start with one question. I mean, you are a, you are a biotech entrepreneur. You're a, a licensed pharmacist. You're an attorney. You are a successful businessman. Uh, why does a smart guy like you want to go to Washington, D.C., and serve in the Congress of the United States? Yeah, well, well, thank you, David. That's a great question. So first I'll say that I got a lot of hats and I got a labels, but the two that I'm most proud of is being a husband and a father. Uh, and as a father of three boys, David, I'll tell you, I am, I'm very concerned about the state of our state and the state of our country. And the reason why I'm running is because I want to make sure generationally 
All children have opportunities to live the American dream just like I had when my father legally immigrated to this country 52 years ago with only $100 in his pocket. Uh, we are at a crisis right now and crossroads, I'd say, in our country. And these midterm elections are more about protecting and preserving our American values and our way of life than they are about being a Democrat or a Republican. So I'm really fired up about these elections. I think it's critical, and that's the reason why I'm running. We need more authentic non-career politicians in Congress. And you were running against Frank Pallone. I mean, he has, he has been a congressman since 1988. He chairs Energy and Commerce. It's one of the most powerful uh, committees on Capitol Hill. Uh, why shouldn't voters in the 6th District re-elect Frank Pallone? Well, that's so again, I mean, Frank Pallone, like you said, has been a career politician 33 years here, and he has a powerful seat. And what has he done with that seat? I mean, people feel his failed policies right at the pump when they're filling their gas. But more importantly, David, and this is something I'd love to highlight here, is that Frank Pallone has been the ranking member among Democrats and Republicans over the Health Committee. The Health Subcommittee, which couch is under the Energy and Commerce Committee, for 33 years, David, he's been the ranking member. And look what we have to show for it. The CDC just released data that for 30 years, the opioid epidemic has ravaged our country with killing over a million Americans and devastating a million more families. And he's done nothing to stop it, failure after failure. Now, I'm a health policy expert, I'm a law professor, pharmacist and attorney. I know exactly what we need to do to fix these issues when I get to Congress. And the 6th District has left them. I mean, look at the demographics. It has one of the fastest growing Asian American populations. And I'll tell you right now, uh, these guys are not, these guys and gals are not in love with Frank Pallone. He's a dated politician who continues to build his career in politics over the last 30 years. And look, uh, there comes a time when things need to end, and this is his year to retire. And this district is is Middlesex and Monmouth County. Monmouth County, fairly Republican. Middlesex, overwhelmingly Democrat, uh, Democratic. You, you would have to flip Democratic voters. I mean, specifically South Asian uh, Americans who, who are accustomed to voting Democrat in Middlesex County to vote for you. How are you going to do that? Well, listen, David, our family has had ties in that community for more than 40 40- years years. I mean, my wife and I met in New Brunswick. We got married in New Brunswick. My first job was in New Brunswick. My father-in-law's business was on Oak Tree Road in Edison. I mean, we have such deep ties to the community. They are excited. They're energized. And as I said, this is not about Democrats or Republicans. These are about people who care about what's happening to their businesses, who cares about what's happening to their families. When you had one-third of the small businesses shut down, when on Oak Tree Road, majority of those businesses are small businesses where people came to this country to build their American dream, and now they've been crushed. They're turning to me to ask for solutions. And you know what happens when they turn to Frank Pallone? He doesn't return their phone calls. I mean, this is time and time again. He has one of the worst uh, constituent services in, in the entire state, arguably. How do, you, how do you come to that, though? Because I... Yeah, but how do, you, how do you say he's got one of the worst constituent service operations in the state? I, I actually, and, and, and I hope I objectively, I hear... I, I, and I'm not taking a position on his platform, but I hear he runs a really solid district office operation. I think you've got to go down to these men and women who own these businesses like I have been. I, I had a small business caucus summit uh, last week in uh, Edison, New Jersey, and how many people came up to me and said they cannot get in touch with his office? 
Hundreds, David, hundreds. So maybe he did in 1988, but it's 2022 in the uh, post-pandemic era, and people are suffering, and he's nowhere to be found. So I think he takes a lot of these people for granted, a lot of where he gets his ballots. But now let me tell you something, David. When I ran against Cory Booker, you know, while I received the highest number of votes in the history of any Republican to run statewide, I also did something else that I'm more proud of. I received the highest number of non-Republican votes. And I think my message appeals across the aisle to both Democrats and Republicans that it's time that we focus on common sense solutions that put our country first, that put our children first, that put our small businesses first, that don't put special interests first. And I think people really resonate with that message. Well, I want to ask you a question. I'm speaking with Rick Maida. He's a candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives in New Jersey's 6th District for the Republican nomination. And, and, and you and I have talked about this before. You, you started out last year you were running in the 7th District. You wanted to run against Tom Malinowski. You, you know, there, there were people talking about, well, Rick Maida should run against Mikey Sherrill. There were people talking about, you running against Andy Kim in the third district. Now, now you have moved from the seventh to the sixth. Is this, is this district shopping? Well, listen, people, I think, have been district shopping for me, I think, because they're so fired up to see me run. Uh, the only district that I've been considering, as I had originally entered in the 7th, and then after redistricting the census data presented, uh, we saw that where majority of my ties are, as I mentioned, uh, my family has such deep roots for the last 40 years in Woodbridge. And the fact that I had my first job and went to school in New Brunswick with so many deep ties, I mean, notwithstanding my wife was born in Edison at JFK Hospital, all of the ties that we had, I had an overwhelming number of community members, both Democrats and Republicans from the South Asian community saying, we want you to represent us. And those are voices you just can't ignore. So the 6th District makes a lot of sense with a 60% minority neighborhood. I'm telling you, for the sake of the Republican Party, we need to continue to expand our demographics and reach into these men and women who are ready for a conservative voice. They're ready for someone to represent them that represents what they believe in and what they stand for. So i got to tell you, the amount of excitement I've had – just couldn't say no to that. And you are moving, you and your family, your, your, your wife, your kids, you are all moving to this district, right? Island side of Woodbridge, that's correct. So you will be, you will be a resident of this district by the time you're a, uh, I already your, am. your name is on the ballot. You are now. Okay, I didn't know that. I am. Okay, well, congrats on the new home. Oh, well, thank you. You're more than welcome to come. I invited Cory Booker for dinner. You're invited as well, David. Would love to have you. Thank, thank you so much. And I'm speaking with Republican congressional candidate uh, Rick Maida here on 77 WABC. Dr. Maida, you, you're in a primary now. You, you have uh, – there are three candidates. Uh, and, and you're running against Sue Kiley, who was on the show last week. She is a Monmouth County commissioner, an extraordinary vote-getter in the Monmouth County part of the district – How do you beat Sue Kiley in the primary, and why shouldn't she be the nominee? Well, listen, uh, I can't speak for Sue. Um, She's a nice person. But let's look at the facts about what this district is and who needs to take on Frank Pallone. Time and time again, Republicans have tried to take on Frank Pallone. I think Anna Little got the closest. The reason we haven't been successful is because you need someone who can reach across the aisle into new demographics 
When you have a 55% Hispanic and Indian neighborhood, you got to ask how exactly are we as Republicans going to penetrate those neighborhoods? And I have already shown uh, that I can. Now, I can't speak for the other candidates, but I'm telling you, we have a willing, winning strategy that I'm very excited about. And it takes experience. I mean, I'm t- with 40 years of ties to this community and this neighborhood, this is the perfect storm where we will be able to oust Frank Pallone. And I know Frank Pallone is getting nervous. So now, and a lot of people say, well, look, but, but by the way, by the way, Frank Pallone always runs nervous. Frank Pallone, Frank Pallone, and that's one of the reasons he's won in, in some tough districts is he always runs scared. Yeah, well, he's going to be running scared out of Washington, that's for sure. Now, I'll tell you, this is a Middlesex district. Uh, David, we both know this. Okay, seventy percent of the votes come out of the out of Middlesex County in the general election. Uh, we need someone who represents the community. Uh, the Republican Party needs it. It's good for the party. It's good for the people. It's the right thing to do. Now, one of the things, and this is, Doctor Meda, this is, I mean, I, clearly looming large in this election, is this is. Joe Biden's midterm, and we, we saw a Monmouth University national poll. He is he is significantly underwater right now across the country, and 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 the president's party loses seats in midterm elections. It would have to be an extraordinary circumstance for for Joe Biden to to counter those historical trends. I mean, I've I've how 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 important is Joe Biden going to be in your race for Congress? How big a player is he going to be? It's extremely important what's going on at a national level because people, the actual people that are voters, that are uh, looking to, you know, put food on the table, that are living in low-income or middle-income families that are finding it hard to make ends meet, are looking at national policies and who's going to hold Joe Biden accountable. When I get to Congress, the first thing, and I've been pounding my fist at, from the beginning about the failed policies towards COVID and the fact that he campaigned on the, that he was going to shut down the virus, but instead he was shut down our businesses and uh, created mandates that have made people suffer. Now you have some of the worst supply chain shortages, workforce shortages. People want common sense, but they also want accountability to these bureaucrats, especially Joe Biden's bureaucrats that think they're above the political process. Now, as someone who worked at the FDA, I know how the government works. And Frank Pallone, as the ranking member of the Health Subcommittee, should have called these people to Congress and made the left hand talk to the right hand for the betterment of America. He never did it. But when I get to Washington, I will, David. Dr. Rick Maida, I mean, Republican candidate for Congress, New Jersey's 6th District against Frank Pallone. Thank you for joining me. It is, it is always a split pleasure to speak to you, and I, I hope you'll be back before the primary. Oh, I'd love to be back. Go to Rick for NJ. That's R-I-K-F-O-R-N-J.com to find out more information about our winning platform. Okay, well, thanks for coming on, Dr. Maida. Thank you, David. And we will be right back with Rob Menendez, another congressional candidate. He's running in the 8th District in Hudson County, so please don't go away. This is David Wildstein. I am the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back, everybody. This is David Wildstein. Uh, Bob, 
Rob Menendez is a Democratic candidate for Congress in New Jersey's 8th District. That is a Hudson-Essex Union County seat. It's been represented for the last 16 years by Albie Osiris, who is retiring. Uh, Rob, welcome welcome to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. David, thanks for having me on the show. It's good to be here. I appreciate it. Hope Hope you're staying warm and hope you're staying dry today. Yeah, you know, uh, I think like a lot of New Jersey families, I've done my uh, first uh, shovel out and probably have one more to do before uh, the end of the day. So you are, just, just for those who don't know you, you are uh, you are an attorney. Uh, you are with one of the, the largest law firms in New Jersey. You are a commissioner of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. That's an agency that I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with. Uh, you have... You have fought on on voting rights issues as a, as a lawyer. What what has caused you to decide you wanted to succeed? You want to succeed Albio Sirius in Congress? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, David, I think you just have to consider the moment that we're in and the need to meet the challenge that we're facing. You know, last few years of this pandemic have put an enormous strain on our communities, and you know, the last two years have shined a light. Um, the structural deficiencies that, that we have to address. Um, you see it every day with parents who are trying to provide for their families while navigating the, you know, the disruptions in their children's lives, um, you know, while also dealing with rising costs from the supply chain issues that we're dealing with. Um, you see it with elders who are struggling to find you know, the housing and care that they so rightfully deserve. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you can't build a stronger America with weaker families. You know, we have to provide our families with the resources they need not just to survive, but to thrive. Stronger families will make, you know, our country stronger. So, um, you know, but, you know, listen, when I, when I look at these challenges, when I look at the future, there's a lot of work that we have to do. Um, you know, I'm ready to do that work, and I'm ready to represent the congressional district in in Congress. And you, your name is is clearly familiar to most people in New Jersey. Your your dad is the chairman of the U.S. Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He uh, he held this seat in Congress in the House before Albio Series did. Mayor of Union City, uh, Assemblyman, State Senator. You uh, you want to follow in in your father's footsteps, and there's. There's been some criticism that you uh, you're having this opportunity to run for Congress because of who your father is. Is that uh, is that a fair criticism? You know, at the end of the day, I'm running because I believe in the 8th Congressional District. I believe in what this community represents. You know, I believe in, in my neighbors, my family, my friends who have called the 8th Congressional District home their entire lives like I have. Um, I'm running because I have this this service streak inside of me that's just not from my father, but also from my mother, who you know, spent her entire career in the Union City um, public school system. Um, I, I'm doing this and raising my hand because every day I look at my daughter, she's 21 months old, and I think about her future. I think about what our country looks like for her, and I think about the opportunities she and every other child will have moving forward. So. That's why I'm doing this. Um, you know, I believe in, in this cause and I believe in this fight, um, and I'm excited to do the work. 
And I mentioned earlier, you're an attorney with uh, with a with a a very prestigious law firm, and and you do you do corporate law and 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 finance, but you you've also been involved in in voting rights issues. Uh, to tell, I want everybody to know what what you've done in that area. Sure. So you know we have a phenomenal um, public interest um, component of the firm. Um, wonderful people, including Catherine Weiss, who lead our efforts there. Um, and that's provided a lot of opportunities to do a lot of pro bono work. Um, there's a voting rights case that I was involved with. Uh, but there's also work in, in that I've done in Jersey City with um, entrepreneurs who are trying to launch their businesses, um, you know, in low-income neighborhoods and, and giving them the resources that they need to really thrive. Um, but in the last couple of years of my legal practice, what I've what I found to be sort of the most insightful is is creating equity opportunities for for underrepresented communities, right? Giving capital to to founders who who come from different backgrounds, who come from different communities, and giving them the opportunity to grow their their businesses, their companies, their ideas, so they can employ folks who come from those communities and really sort of lift uh, their communities up. It's been um. A great honor to work with with those folks. It's something that I think you know I've seen in my legal practice that I'd love to bring with me to to Congress. And, and I'm speaking with Rob Menendez, a candidate for the U.S. US House of Representatives. And, and important to say, Rob Menendez, Robert J. Menendez, not Bob Menendez Jr. As everybody else makes the mistake of calling you. Uh, but but you have, I mean, you have, you have a lot of your. You, strong beliefs on on some issues facing north jersey and i want to talk to you about some of them one one is is infrastructure uh your district hugely dependent upon upon better infrastructure for new jersey ways of of crossing the hudson river uh tell me tell me what you can do to bring more money back to new jersey to to meet those needs of your district yeah, so so that's a great question. I think it starts with continuing the work that Albio has done for his entire career. You know, he's been an advocate uh, for for the district, uh, bringing more transportation and infrastructure dollars home. Um, you know, one of the accomplishments from this this last term was the passage of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Um, so there's a lot of dollars that are going to be allocated to New Jersey. It's ensuring that a lot of those dollars make their way to the 8th Congressional District. So the folks here who rely on public transportation, who re- rely on mass transit, have a better system, uh, have more, oppor- more uh, opportunities and more um, options to get them from their place of work back home. Um, I think it's a vitally important component of representing the 8th. Um, I, I'm fortunate to have experience um, you know, serving as a commissioner of the Port Authority and, and seeing that agency continue to do big, bold things. And I would like to bring that um, approach, that energy to the 8th Congressional District. And what about the Build Back Better Act? This is this is something that uh, that that has stumbled a bit, even with Democrats in control of the White House and the Congress. Uh, what's what's your position on that? Would you would you have voted for that bill? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I think Build Back Better lays out a wonderful foundation and blueprint for how we move forward as a country. It, it addresses a lot of the issues that I think are the most pressing ones for families uh, in the district and the state at large, uh, chiefly child care. Um, you know, it creates a preschool, edu- universal preschool education. Um, 
that creates and, and gives attention, which we need to, to, you know, ch- children well-being, their nutrition, their health care. Um, it extends the child tax credit, which puts dollars in, in parents' pockets so they can make the decisions that will benefit their children. And there's already studies that have shown that's led to better educational outcomes, better cognitive development for children in those, in those important early years of their life. Um, it tackles the issues of affordability, which are fundamentally important for folks in the 8th Congressional District. It, it, it tackles the housing crisis that we're facing. Um, it tackles that issue for not just affordable housing, workforce housing, but also for, you know, an aging population and seniors that need housing, um, you know, as they transition out of the homes that they've lived in their entire lives, and also housing for people with disabilities. Uh, creating livable communities. So I think Build Back Better on every front um, really creates the change that we need. It passed the House, right? So I think Democrats have led on this issue. And it's, you know, it's been a challenge to get the traction it deserves in the Senate. But I think it's the blueprint. And I think it's a clear vision of how we move this country forward. And and I'm speaking with Rob Menendez, uh, who wants to be the next congressman from New Jersey's 8th District. You, You... you, you're looking to represent a district where there is there is an extraordinary number of of immigrants, uh, people who have who have just come to this country, first generation, second generation uh, Americans. Uh, what t- tell me tell me your view on on immigration policy? Yeah, absolutely. So so first, it's 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 an interesting district. You know, forty four percent of people that that live here were born abroad. One in every four individuals as a non-citizen. And, you know, and look, it was only my grandparents who came here from Cuba, you know, a generation ago and laid our American roots here. Um, So it's something that resonates with me. It's something that I care deeply about. And I think it's the issue that the federal government has to get over the finish line to give, to give every sort of individual here a pathway to citizenship, a pathway to full inclusion in this country. I think it will it will be the key that unlocks the potential for our country. Um, and it's something that it's the torch that I want to pick up um, and ensure that we finally come up with a comprehensive solution to this issue that's plagued us for far too long. And how important is it, Rob, for uh, this? Albio Sirius is the the only Hispanic member of the New Jersey congressional delegation uh how important is it for uh this eighth district seat to be continued to be represented by a hispanic you know i think it's vitally important um you know i believe in in representative government right and i think having someone from the the lionx community representing the eighth congressional district in the halls of congress um will will be an important feature uh for the eighth congressional district and so um something i believe in it's something that um i would like to make happen for the district and and i mean i i i i have to ask about uh and i and i don't know if you heard my my uh, discussion with rick Mado, who's who's running in a different district than yours as a republican i mean this is joe biden's midterm election uh and joe biden's Poll numbers are abysmal. I mean, nationally, he is upside down. His, his numbers were not great in New Jersey when there was there was polling before the last election. Uh, do you consider Joe Biden to be helpful to you uh, as the president of the United States as you begin your campaign to be a congressman? 
Yeah, I do. Um, I, he's part. He's laid out a vision that Democrats in the House had carried forward. Um, real change that would make a difference in in everyone's life from from frontline workers to to executives. It, it, it is a fundamental plan to lead this country forward. And you have to remember, right, the Democrats may be in control, but they have slim majorities. At the end of the day, the Republican Party stands for nothing except Donald Trump. You know, they'd rather, you know, sort of confuse people with critical race theory than providing solutions that will make a difference uh, in the lives of, of families, right? As I said earlier, you can't have a stronger America with weak families. You have to make our families stronger. You have to empower them. I see Democrats giving solutions to those answers, and I don't see Republicans doing the same thing. So I respectfully disagree with Rick. Um, I think the Democrats have laid out a clear vision. We need more seats in the House. We need more seats in the Senate. Um, if we had those uh, majorities, I think you would see you would see a bright future for America. So, so let's say you you get to Congress in in January, and look, you are you are the front runner. And if you win the primary in June, you are you are you are going to be the congressman from the eighth district. You get down there, and the very first vote that you're going to have to cast is is for your leader. Uh, uh, are you are you going to vote for Nancy Pelosi either as speaker or as the minority leader? So, so two points. One is there's there's an election in June, and that's what I'm primarily focused on, and continue to bring you know my vision, my uh, vision for the future to the constituents of the eighth congressional district. If I were so fortunate to have the opportunity to represent the eighth congressional district in Congress, um, I think there's a, a wonderful, wonderful group of representatives who would make great leaders. But let me just say this about Nancy Pelosi. She has been a force of nature. She has helped the Democratic Party together to get over the hill on Affordable Care, the Affordable Care Act. She's led the party through the last two years, um, passed Bill Back Better. She has done the job well. I think she is a tremendous leader. Um, and we'll see, we'll see what happens uh, after November. Uh, but I can tell you this, no matter who is in leadership in the House, Democrats will be in wonderful hands. And I'm speaking with Rob Menendez, a congressional candidate in New Jersey's 8th. Uh, I, I, this shows my age. I was about to say 13th because that just that shows how long I've been here and how many, how many numbers these have gone around. But before, I want to ask you – go ahead. I'm sorry. Go. I was going to say maybe it shows both of our age because I remember the 13th as well. So, uh, so you're, you're, you're in safe company here. I got to tell you how old I am. I remember when New Jersey had a 15th. And that was, <laughs> and it, it it went up, and then it's 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 gone steadily down. But I uh, I want to ask you one last question before before we go to break, yeah, sure. which is which is, uh, I mean, it's a question that just doesn't get asked enough. Uh, what are you going to do on pocketbook issues, on job creation, on uh, to 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 improve the lives of your constituents if you get elected? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked that because the, the issue that I have you talk to leaders in the community, the issue that they really focus on is workforce development. Um, you know, it's insane the, the lack of investment that, that the country has at the federal level invested in, in developing our workforce. I think it's something that's fundamentally important, you know, not just creating jobs, David, but, but creating careers. And not just creating careers, but like I said earlier, creating equity in companies that people own, right? So they're working for themselves. I think it's something that we need to train people in um, because I think that's how you lift people up. I think that's how they lift communities up. 
Um, but we have to look across the board. We have to look at housing. We have to look at the cost of child care. Um, these are things that are part of Build Back Better that should be the focus of the Democratic Party. They should be the focus of our country. Um, as I mentioned earlier, only one party is giving them the attention that they need. That's the Democratic Party. Um, and I'm just excited to have the opportunity to, to talk about these issues, to lay out this vision, and to be the one that, that goes down to Washington, fights for the 8th Congressional District, so we can see these things come to fruition and people can start feeling a difference in their lives. Fair enough. Rob Menendez, uh, candidate for Congress, thank you for, for joining me today, and, and I'm looking forward to speaking to you again some, at some point. Thank you for the opportunity and look forward to speaking soon. Take Thank care. Thank you. Thank you. And I will be right back to talk more about congressional redistricting and legislative districts. Please don't go away. This is David Wildstein, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Radio 77 WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back, everybody. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And a little more than two months after Democrats won the New Jersey governorship and majorities in, in both houses of the state legislature, there is a, a new civil war that is on the verge of eruption. And, and it was triggered on Wednesday morning when Democratic State Chairman Leroy Jones announced he was replacing Steve Sweeney as a member of the redistricting commission that's going to redraw the state's 40 legislative districts. And and just a few months ago, Sweeney, if you remember, was one of the most powerful people in the state. He'd been president of the state senate for 12 years, the longest-serving senate president in history. But something happened on his way to re-election. He lost. He was beaten by a truck driver named Ed Durr, who, who spent practically no money, but uh, worked hard and rode a Republican wave in South Jersey that that might be, I'd say, probably one of the biggest and most unexpected upsets in the history of New Jersey legislative races. So this was a big move for Democrats. They signaled their intent to move on from Sweeney. Uh, he's been an omnipresent figure in Trenton uh, and, and also an announced candidate for governor in 2025. And, and the move came after two South Jersey Democrats went, I guess at least briefly, off the reservation during congressional redistricting uh, last month. The Democratic leaders worried that Sweeney could become a free agent, which means they were concerned that Sweeney could make a deal with Republicans uh, on a map that would help them and uh, help help both of their interests, uh, if that's possible. And in his place, he they appointed Laura Matos. She is she's well known, hugely qualified. She's a, a, a huge, enormously competent Latino leader, uh, Latino leader, and she's she's worked for three Democratic governors. So now what's happening is Sweeney's headed to court. A judge will hear his legal challenge, his bid to be reinstated on on Tuesday. He says his removal was unconstitutional. He says it was a breach of a contract that he had with the Democratic Party. And and one thing I found interesting, back in 2010, when Sweeney became Senate president, he replaced 
a congressional redistricting commission member that was appointed by his predecessor. But as often happens in politics, circumstances have changed, I, I, I suppose. And, and now it's Sweeney who's out, and elections have consequences. We, we say that all the time. I, I don't know what the judge is going to do. I mean, frequently in Jersey, when it, when it comes to an election-related political issue, you never really know what a judge is going to do. So, so we'll see. But either way, this could... This could trigger an intra-party fight. I mean, you know, the kind that led, and it wasn't that long ago, 1999, seven South Jersey Democrats walked out of the Assembly Democratic Caucus and, and, and formed their own caucus. And, I mean, so, so interesting things happen in New Jersey. I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the era when, when Tom Kane, the future governor, he became the Assembly Speaker after Republicans who were in the minority made a deal with four Democrats. Uh, now it's a month since New Jersey congressional redistricting is, is over, since the commission approved a new map. But there, the controversies surrounding that, I mean, they are, they are still abounding. It is a mess. And we're waiting to see what the New Jersey Supreme Court has to say about a map that was approved by a former Supreme Court justice, the court-selected tiebreaker, John Wallace. And I can't help but think that this would all be in our rearview mirror by now if if Justice Wallace didn't throw up all over himself in his public comments announcing his decision to vote for a Democratic map. So just, just so that we're all clear, because it's been two weeks since I played this clip, I want to play the clip again. I want you to hear what Justice Wallace said. In summary, both delegations aptly applied our standards to their map. In the end, I decided to vote for the Democratic map simply because in the last redistricting map, was drawn, it was drawn by the Republicans. Thus, I conclude that fairness dictates that the Democrats had the opportunity to have their map used for this next redistricting cycle. And you all can't see me, but I, I'm just, I, I, every time I hear this clip, and I've heard it a hundred times, I just, I just shake my head. I, 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 I can't believe that that's what he said. Uh, neither could. Chief Justice Stuart Rabner, he ordered Wallace to amplify his reasons. Uh, it, it caused Wallace to then invoke the analysis of, of, of his advisors. It's a, a group from Princeton University the, led by Sam Wang. It's called the Princeton Gerrymandering Project. And, and Wallace said, you know, the, you know, upon reflection, he realized he, he failed to consider his team's evaluation of partisan fairness of these maps and that he, that he should have been concerned with the fairness. Uh, he said, I'm going to read it to you, simply put, I should have stated that the Democrats' map better satisfied the standard for partisan fairness. I do this time further to support my vote in favor of the Democrats' map. But, but here's the problem, everybody. We don't know what criteria was used to determine partisan fairness. And we don't know it because the algorithm used by this Princeton gerrymandering project to determine partisan fairness won't be made public because they say their formula is proprietary. And I've got to wonder, and I think it's going to be up to a lot of people to discuss this and decide this, is, is that acceptable? I mean, it would, be, it would be if they were part of a partisan staff. They'd be under no obligation to show their work. But they weren't on a partisan staff. They were working for the court-selected independent tiebreaker. And I worry that this is a secret formula. I mean, how, so how are we really supposed to know 
how this was calculated. Uh, What we do know is this. There was a report from the Brennan Center for Justice at New York University Law School. It flagged this map as a partisan gerrymander. Uh, 538 labeled this new map as as having a, and and these are their words, strong pro-democratic bias. Uh, So I wrote in a story yesterday on the New Jersey Globe, uh, a quote from a Democrat who was part of these meetings, and, it, and it's attracted, attracted a lot of attention. It's attracted a lot of talk. The Republicans have now you know, written to the Supreme Court and asked them to consider this. Uh, Democrats are pushing back. Uh, and I'm going to read you the quote. It's from a Democrat, and, and, and this person said, I got the sense that they really wanted us to win, and the only reason I'm not mad is because we won. And, and I'm going to say, regard, I mean, I, I understand Democrats are pushing back and they're saying, you know, well, this, the, 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 this wasn't cheating and this wasn't really accurate. But, but you know, that's, that's what they've got to say, and, and, I, and I get it, but, but, but stand by that 100%. And I'll tell you something that is not clear. It's not clear how Sam Wang and the Princeton Gerrymandering Project found their way into John Wallace's inner circle or on the staff of the court-appointed legislative redistricting tiebreaker. And this is, this is a hugely respected former appellate court judge named Philip Karchman. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm not impugning Judge Karchman's integrity in any way. He is, by everybody I speak to, Democrats and Republicans, a fine man. But they're not saying how Sam Wang and the Princeton gerrymandering group got there, and I don't know that that's right. I don't know that that's going to fly. Uh, I think the public's got a, a right to know the circumstances of how somebody as an independent uh, on, an, on a staff of an independent tiebreaker got into the job in the first place. And, and there, there are instances where Wang and his team were inconsistent. They, 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 they applied some, some criteria about school districts and splitting towns and communities of interest in some places, but not in all places. Uh, and they made some mistakes. And I don't know how many mistakes they made because there was no transparency to this. These maps weren't posted in advance, and nobody knows what the arguments were town by town on, on, on arguments in favor of communities of interest. What I, what I do know is there was, there, there's no apparent due diligence. There was no verification. There was no fact-checking. Uh, and, and again, there's no way of knowing how they, these guys got in the room. I mean, and we don't know who, who told the two parties not to exchange maps. Was it one party? Was it the other party? Was it Wallace? I, I don't know because there was a, an extraordinary extraordinary lack of 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 uh transparency on this and so so you know what other mistakes did they make i'll, I'll tell you this and you know uh, if if they had posted the map prior to the vote with an explanation and they said that the reason they put caldwell into into a district with newark is because essex county college was there and that's a community of interest i sure would have raised my hand and says no it's that that school's not in caldwell it's in west caldwell so i don't know what other mistakes they made and and we we don't know uh and and i think we're going to all be paying attention to this issue for a very long time Uh, before the time is up i want to i want to acknowledge news that happened uh on friday uh i think this is fairly significant Ian Smith, he is the owner of the Attila's Gym. Uh, uh, he's not a man not without controversy, and he gained national attention uh, for refusing to follow Governor Phil Murphy's 
business closure mask mandates during the the early months of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, He has announced that he will seek the Republican nomination for Congress to run against Andy Kim. Uh, He's he's now going to face Bob Healy Jr., who owns a a yacht manufacturing company. He's also a yoga instructor. He had been in a punk rock band when he was younger. This is an amazing, amazing contrast between two, uh, between two, three candidates, and, and this is going to be the race for watch. So thanks, everybody, for listening. I uh, hope you all come back next week. Uh, this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you have been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.